listen to the customers listen to the companies and that champion will probably make it a bit easy for you to sell to that company the champion by definition is bought into the concept of okay they know this problem exists and they can tell inside the company that this problem is there and we need a solution and they also bought into the fact that they like your solution and they would like to buy it the biggest thing is finding that champion if you do that your life becomes a lot more easy Welcome to Engineering Founders, the show for engineering leaders making the daring leap to start their own company. Bucci Ready, Bucci Ready, co-founder and CEO at Levo.ai, joins us to talk about building security-focused products. And in our conversation, we get into things like how Bucci's lessons from places like AppDynamics and other Silicon Valley companies shaped the early company building at Levo.ai. We also discuss securing your first customers, identifying your product's champion, and finding the data and narratives that support your product. Plus, Bucci shares his personal story navigating the personal and logistical considerations of attaining an H-1B visa as a founder, providing valuable insight and questions for any immigrant founders. Let me introduce you to Bucci. Bucci is the CEO and co-founder of Levo.ai, which is on a mission to protect all the APIs and apps in the world to make the digital world more secure. Bucci is a domain expert in application performance management, observability, distributed tracing, and API security areas, and he's built multiple enterprise SaaS products in his career. Enjoy our conversation with Bucci Ready, Bucci Ready. I figured the best place to start is probably at the beginning. So how did Levo AI come about and what was your journey like starting the company? We are two founders, me and my co-founder. His name is Harish Nataraj. I'm, uh, I come from engineering background. I studied computer science. I moved to Valley about 10 years ago. The reason I moved to Valley was mainly startups, actually. You know, Silicon Valley is like the mecca of startups, as they say. And all the action was here. I was like, okay, why am I, what am I doing here? I need to get there. And I came here. I joined a bunch of companies. I was an early member, like literally the first employee of a YC Summer 14 company called Neptune.io. Uh, I was a founding member in uh, other startups. I was about 350 uh, number in AppDynamics. So AppDynamics is the most notable company in my journey here in the last 10 years uh, in the Bay Area. You know, everybody knows the success story of AppDynamics. Got acquired by Cisco for $3.7 billion. It was one of the biggest uh, enterprise deals, at least back then. Most of the time uh, in the in the Valley, I have been working in enterprise companies because I love solving enterprise problems. And that's why I always, you know, stuck to the enterprise wherever jobs I've taken, any journey that I've taken was for enterprise products. And I've learned a great deal as part of that. And when Abdi got acquired by Cisco, and Cisco, as you know, they hold themselves to very high security standards. And Abdi as a very fast-growing startup, like we didn't have the similar standards that they had. And I still remember like there was a security team that came in from Cisco and they were like, they were looking up and down and they were looking at us like, what the hell did you guys build here? Like, you know, where are the security controls? And all these things. I learned a great deal through that exercise, actually. And then... Um, started holding myself and my team and all the products that we are building to much better security standards. And after that, the founder of AppDynamics, Jyoti Bansali, started his third company called Traceable. He asked me if I would like to be a, the, one of the founding members of the company. I said, yes, like, that's what I love. And I was already getting bored at AppDynamics or Cisco, which is now a huge company, the biggest company that I ever worked for. I went ahead and joined and I learned a bunch more there. While going through this journey, I've realized that I've been working in a lot of Valley companies. Generally, Valley companies are ahead of technology and all that. But for my experience, I could not initially believe that APS have been around for like more than a decade. I still remember writing almost 10 years ago, writing my first REST API. In spite of that, 
even today, there is a lot of tooling missing to make sure APIs are secure. And you would not believe a lot of companies put their software without security testing them thoroughly. Sometimes there are some band-aid tools applied to make sure just maybe check some compliance boxes or just to make sure maybe as an insurance policy. But fundamentally, what we do for functional testing of API, which is you make sure that the API is doing exactly what it's supposed to or any application for that matter, that same thing is not done for security. That's like the aha moment and I was like, okay. So I said the philosophy was completely different from what the existing products. I said, we have to go back to the root cause. Developers are writing software. They are the ones who are actually implementing APIs. If you want to make them secure, that is the right place to think. Anything else is like a banded approach. We want to help developers to actually make sure their APIs are secure before they go to production. That was like the aha moment and me and Harish, we were very excited about this idea and there were not many products doing in that fashion and we jumped on the opportunity, raised seed funding and started the journey. A, a great a great journey and I think I, I really appreciate you sharing that aha moment and going to sort of the first principles behind Levo. Really drilling into like with API security, you have to go to the developers first because everything else is a band-aid approach. I really appreciate drilling down to sort of that foundational problem and then building out a solution to address that. I wanted to go to the moment when you were deciding to make the transition from what you're doing previously to then starting Levo. Can you bring us to like what motivated you to choose to transition out of engineering leadership and to formalize and, and start the company? I will, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. If you actually see the... Neptune, when I joined as a first employee, like they were YC funded company. They had very little seed funding. They were like literally two founders and I joined them. A um, lot of my friends were looking at me like, are you crazy or something? Like, did you forget that you are still on H1B? You know, if you lose a job or if they close the shop, like within a month, you have to find another job and all that. I had this entrepreneurial spirit always in my heart. And for me, it was not a very big decision. It was more about like how much I was excited about that problem. And even the, when I'm starting the company also, I'm still thinking like I'm a big problem solver. That's how I see actually. The titles and all those things are like all secondary. Fundamentally, I love solving these enterprise problems. I love helping companies and our customers to actually solve their problems and have a better life. So if I can make their day better, that's a huge win for me. It wasn't like a huge shift in that sense, but the logistics was a problem. Basically, I was on H-1B visa. Actually making it happen with respect to logistics, that was a problem. But otherwise, I personally like, okay, I might be changing the role from like, you know, in one seat to the other. But ultimately, my first principles and my, my bigger vision is same. Ultimately, I'm excited about solving problems for customers. That's what I want to continue doing. In here, I can do in a bigger capacity. I can influence the complete product and roadmap. And also the idea, like from uh, Epti to uh, where you are now, it's that the exposure to the real problem for like API development and the, the insight came to you naturally. I guess the, the idea has been cooking the, in the back of the mind for quite some time. And then the decision came, well, I got to do this, right? Despite the, the condition of the economy or uh, all the other factors, right? Yes. I mean, I, when I was doing Levo, I was determined to do it irrespective of even uh, if I was not able to do it here with H1B, I was ready to move back to India. I was very clear on that. That was not my preference because for any enterprise company, US is still the top market and, you know, Valley is the best place to build these startups. But if not here, I want to build somewhere. And I mean, luckily, anyways, like after that COVID came and it kind of proved that now it does not matter as much as it used to on where you are building the company from. Although still like the GTM function still has to be from US, but I was ready even before level. What is that? level of determination help other things other than the making this decision because that level of commitment is critical. So I want to reflect that and, and see how it comes into play in other areas. 
as part of company building you have challenges like especially when you are starting a startup as a first timer everything is a challenge like starting from like okay we we got first you have to go raise the funding and we didn't have a lot of uh, investors as connections or anything like so how do you figure that out how do you make the pitch and how do you get your initial hires how do you get your initial customers how do you do sales how do you do marketing how do you build a website i can go on and on i think there's the list is almost infinite right the commitment is basically like on you are determined that you want to make it happen and then the dash percolate as a action into everything and most importantly even the things that you may or may not enjoy doing for example recruiting may be fun for some people but some people won't enjoy like and generally especially for engineers talking to a lot of people is not that common like engineers are generally sitting and coding and implementing functionality and taking notes for example like you know we are not used to it like but now you know i try to hire candidates a lot of people said no i try to get funding like a lot of vcs said i mean worse yet they didn't even say no they just uh, went ghost the commitment has to prevail through all these things hearing no's and failing and that is actually why this journey is beautiful in my opinion especially coming from an engineering background you become really good at something and maybe you know top of the team or like a lot of people are like really good performers uh, especially people who have grown into leadership roles then suddenly it is almost like uh, your ego is hit because he, you are only hearing no's <laughs> or more commonly no's than yes so that teaches you a lot of other things in life and then puts things in perspective i think that is why this journey is very beautiful in my opinion and like you said your audience a lot of them are planning to start companies if not for anything whether that becomes a successful business or not i can tell very confidently that they will become a different and better person can i go back to the early days like filtering out the right idea you want me to because it sounds very easy and natural like from what we talked about so far you get an idea had exposure and they have determination and want to start a company and it started in reality there might be many different ideas because you have entrepreneur in your heart and you may have many different ideas you want to pursue and how this one came about as the one that you want to do and I want to learn that process and also maybe the level of commitment becomes a filter like letting people know oh this is the idea that I can finally commit to Yeah very good question and uh, you are absolutely right when i explain how levo happened it actually seems like a very straight line but that the reality is definitely not that i have a one note that actually has every idea that i have ever gotten the thing is i keep writing these ideas like small or big like whatever ideas i'm getting you know some of those i almost lose sleep over them for a few days some of them like i think i'm motivated enough to go ahead and even talk to some friends talk to some uh, early potential customers so i think it all depends on the idea it may be a little hard to explain but at least for me how much i am excited about that and when i talk to somebody how what am i hearing and if they if they also see this as a problem and not every time you hear that as a problem and you cannot base that only on that data but that is one of the signals but in general it's all about like how much i am excited in this case we even me and harish we had multiple ideas actually we were initially discussing and tinkering with authorization as a service kind of idea like i mean that is again over simplification of what we were thinking but you know there are like bunch of companies actually now i mean that is also a great idea it is still a great idea i, I still think it's an unsolved problem but one of the reasons was basically like we were thinking that you know it is very very hard to convince developers to put this in the data plane like i'm just giving a technical reason on why based on which we decided not to work on one of the idea i'm not saying you should not work it at least for our skill sets where we were um, and things like that we felt that that probably is much harder to pull off or alternatively you had to do completely open source which actually there like at least five companies which did open source on that same idea actually uh, which kind of proves that what we were thinking was correct so 
that was one race in la so like that but when came to levo our excitement uh, was the highest we spoke to few people and it was resonating pretty well people were like this is what i want to solve and this is how i would solve it then we jumped on it i know that you've spent a lot of time advising folks around navigating the h1b visa experience and i know you've spent a lot of time with the considerations of the risk and commitment of starting your own thing so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your perspective for folks that are navigating the h1b status and are considering starting their own company can you talk a little bit about how you wrestled with maybe the uncertainty or the risk and how that informed making the commitment to start your own company yeah so there is a personal thing and there is actual logistics to do it legally and honestly a lot of people actually struggle or start get stopped at the first one only i mean advice is a bit of a heavy word but at the least i shared my knowledge and i shared my experiences with people over the course especially now that i have done many people know that i have done and they keep reaching out to me my recommendation usually is the, like the first first solve that personal thing what i mean by personal thing is you know the financial commitments and the stress of being in a startup while you are an h1b like you know tomorrow you shut down the company for some reason or you are out of job and you are on a clock to search for something in one or two months of time frame unfortunately the immigration system here a lot of people on h1 are getting impacted due to layoffs it's very bad situation and i can only imagine the rough situation is for them because they have families they have bought houses and they have built their entire life here and now suddenly you're saying like you have two months or actually one month to get out of the country kids are going to school kids only know this as their home and all that anyways going back like the personal i would recommend as a first thing to everybody is first personally be comfortable like look your self in the mirror and be very very clear on what you're going to get into ask yourself this question and have an answer, honest answer are you ready that in my opinion was a much bigger thing and i'll be honest even i myself was dancing a bit on that in the initial days and that is also one of the reasons why i joined other companies rather than like actually starting on my own initially because i was confident on myself my skills anytime even if i lose this job i can get another job in two weeks easily the job market was pretty good always so that that kind of made my decision easy and second thing is like about the financials a lot of people think about cost of uh, opportunity and things like that then if you are making such calculations it gets harder and harder so that's why be very clear on what you want does this fit the bill coming to the logistics side i think fortunately there are bunch of you know attorney firms uh, that have come up recently i can clearly see that four years ago that kind of education was not there not just uh, attorney firms even there are some vc firms who are openly telling like hey if you are on h1b come and uh, start with us we'll help you navigate the visa issues like i can i mean people can reach out to me personally i can give the names i don't want to na- name anything uh, because i'm not directly endorsing or anything because i haven't used them but there are a lot of them actually resources are, there are a lot more resources in today's world than 4 years ago but i can tell one thing very simply if you your idea is pretty good and if you secure some funding there are perfectly legal and easy ways to get your h1b don't make your h1b as a blocker for that focus on the problem first thank you i think the the clarity around first personally ask yourself the question are you ready and have alignment there and then wrestle with the financially can you make that work and then the rest is logistics i come across a lot of people they say that hey i want to start a company but then like oh i need to have some x bank balance and this that when you drill deep into it like maybe you don't even want to start maybe you are not ready for the risk i don't want to undermine anybody or anything but like 
in fact they actually put them through a lot of torture thinking that they want to start but they cannot start and they are like suffering it's like i i, I have friends who who went through that father like okay why why unnecessarily just you know just get full clarity and you are not ready you are not ready there is nothing wrong in you know not starting a company there is nothing great in just starting a company like there is nothing prideful about it actually now of course i mean you have to do it if you are passionate and if you are ready not just for the sake of starting it that's my point That's great. Thank you. I was wondering if you could share maybe some of the the lessons that you learned as a founder that you maybe took from your experiences at places like App Dynamics or Neptune and how those lessons are manifesting uh, with Levo. I don't think I I would have built a Levo's product the way we have built and I I don't think this journey would have been this smooth without my experience and learnings from Neptune App Dynamics and Trispel. I can't thank all of these journeys enough. building for enterprises is and especially selling to enterprises is not an easy easy thing technology is only a small part of the overall thing you need to understand the persona problems on daily basis how do they purchase software how do they deploy the frictions that come in the organization some of the bureaucracies some of the politics all those things that also trickles down to even technological aspects like for example how we architected levo software today how exactly it runs how the customer download and install how many commands it takes how exactly we capture api traffic all of this was very very carefully chosen and a lot depending on the previous learnings my learnings from neptune app dynamics and all this to give an example at neptune we initially wrote some software that has to run in customers environment and we went for with python initially the back then container adoption was not this much we didn't foresee the problems that we were going to run into and when we started installing in customers environment they already had their own python versions we wrote for some python version we had to rewrite the complete agent in go because python was messing up with their like we actually lost couple of customers because we tried to install and we messed up the dependencies on their machine they were pissed off so see how much you can learn from it so that that's just one example and similarly like our architecture was very thoroughly vetted by these companies we were like four people company and they were grilling us like with lot of security questions and all of that and they said why is opening a port can somebody attack through this port and all these things and every such experience now becomes a lesson and we architected our software and i'm very happy to say like you know when we walk in with levo we pitch to customers we have answers and most of the times very good answers based on i can say based on their reactions for every question that they have and you know ultimately we want to keep our customers very safe and also give them peace of mind in addition to solving their problem they should not be scared to actually take our software and run in their environment so those are just small examples but like app dynamics especially had a huge footprint for on prem software there were like lot of learnings that i had from there To me it seems like the unique challenge is your product can't have any vulnerabilities because you're in the security space. It seems like there's a higher pressure for everything working right away from the beginning and having like a complete comprehensive set of security. So can you speak a little bit about the pressures of building a security focused product and what you have to think about when you go into that experience? Yeah, in fact that is not even the real pressure. The real pressure <laughs> okay. is doing that while you are a small startup and you are still trying to figure out the features that you need to build and figuring out where to invest and where not to invest. Writing secure software itself is a challenge, but doing that and deciding to invest in that while actually figuring out your product market fit and building features that customers need is a bigger problem. Thankfully the tooling is has been getting easier and easier. There is like bunch of open source projects for some static code analysis and things like that that you can 
throw in in like basically just the pareto principle right 80 20 like you can put some 20% effort and get 80% of the coverage it is a balancing act in my opinion as a startup if you on day one if you are saying like i'm going to focus only on writing the full secure software you are never going to actually build a product um, because it is security especially is like there is no boundary to it it is like a spectrum actually where you want to be in the spectrum but having said that clearly understand your product it might be changing from product to product you have to get the balance right and keep the customers in communication and i would say that is also very very important don't lie or don't try to claim something that you have not done and see where the customers biggest concern is try to address that first great thank you i want to talk a little bit about go to market for a lot of folks in our community the gap from building a product to then having paying customers can sometimes seem monumental, like a huge mountain to climb. You know, there's a lot of false beliefs or narratives to overcome there. So you talk a little bit about your experience building the product and closing the first customers. In fact, I appreciate people who are thinking like that. There is another worse false belief that build the product, people will come. <laughs> These people probably believe, somebody believing what you said is better than the other person who is believing that I'll just build the product and they'll come. Basically, the, you know, getting paid customers, especially selling to enterprises is not an easy feat. buying a software in an enterprise is not a one person's decision and also they are not buying dozens and dozens of products they have limited budget they have limited number of products that they want to buy and depending on the company size they have certain constraints and requirements from the vendor and all of these things in meeting all of that with a very small team that uh, as a startup has is, is a tricky very very tricky challenge and that's why it is awesome if you picked a problem that somebody is really dying to have a solution for that won't happen always especially for a lot of startups it won't happen because like you know if somebody was dying for the solution lot 10 people would have already built up solutions for it it is actually more of an art than science it is sometimes it is hard to explain but in my opinion the biggest success you will get by listening first listen to the customers listen to the companies and that champion will probably make it a bit easy for you to sell to that company it's not completely in your hands you have to actually get a partner on the other side and that will make your life easy because uh, the champion by definition is bought into the concept of okay they know this problem exists and they can tell inside the company that this problem is there and we need a solution and they also bought into the fact that they like your solution and they would like to buy it so that way you got a champion internally and they make some of your things easy not everything you still have to for example if if that company has a vendor sign in process you cannot bypass that you have to meet everything that they are looking for you might have to get sock to compliance you might have to go through a security audit you have to pen test your software there will be a bunch of things like all of those can be done the biggest thing is finding that champion if you do that your life becomes a lot more easy that's really important for any saas company to figure out how do you identify who will champion and how do you nurture that because inevitably they're going to have internal pushbacks potentially and as you mentioned every company have limited resources they're going to purchase a small number of product can you share some some insights on that okay first of all let me put the disclaimer levo has been around for slightly less than 2 years and this is my first company so i'm just telling my learnings from the experience so far i don't want to sound like um, my guru or i have figured out everything i am still going through some of these things with that uh, disclaimer how do you figure out the champion again i'll go back to listening i think you to answer to patrick's point one other thing the big part of this gtm is actually getting out there get out of the room talk to people and you will actually notice immediately you know where uh, eyes light up where uh, the person is very engaged in the conversation where they are coming back to you and asking more questions those are the champions you, you will figure it out when you are talking i think the best most important 
important prerequisite is getting yourself out and start talking to people. I could have done better with that aspect. This is coming from my learning rather than like me knowing it from day one. That's why like especially in the last uh, six to nine months, I've been trying to put myself out there in front of a lot more customers and trying to talk so that I find more champions. And how do you nurture that? What's your final champion and how do you motivate them to kind of do the internal selling and eventually to a deal? There again, uh, a, a lot of situational things and the journey of that company, journey of the champion. So again, just finding the champion does not mean the sale is fully done. But th- what is in your hands, I can tell. Like help that person craft a story that they can tell internally. So oftentimes, they may not have the right story or best story. Share some data from other companies or other champions that you are seeing, like whatever they don't have. Basically, equip your champion with the story, with the data, with the additional knowledge that they can use and actually keep championing your product internally. It also depends on the champion. Some of the champions are so smart that they will actually do it for you. And sometimes, uh, depend, and also if they are busy, if they are not getting time, maybe you will have to do the legwork and help them. You have to go case by case basis. There is no one single formula that always works. But fundamentally, I see that the champion is a huge part of this enterprise sale. Can you share an example maybe of some of the data or the stories that you you shared with some folks to help them advocate and build momentum in the need for the product? What, what was some of the data or the stories that you supported people with? Let's talk about Levo again, a little bit into the product. We wanted to help developers and security engineering teams to make sure their APIs are secure before they go into production. How do we solve it? Like, the problem statement uh, is very generic and there are n ways to solve it. But w- what we decided is we want to solve it in such a way that the customer does not have to do a lot of any work, actually, not a lot. The reason is developers are already busy. Their plates are full. They are excited about building a lot of new features and security people can't really do a lot of implementation work for all this because the ratio of developers to security is very, very bad, like 100 to 1, 100 developers, 1 security people. And there are like way too many APIs. One of our customers said like APIs are growing like mushrooms in my company. They grow organically. They grow very fast. I love that quote. That's a great quote about APIs. <laughs> yeah. So what we do is we actually, by leveraging some very useful and uh, important technologies, like we leverage BPF to do seamlessly discover all of their APIs and we we surface sensitive data, we build the documentation automatically. So there is heavy emphasis on automating and everything as a code in our product. We also continuously security test these APIs so that, okay, you as a developer, you implemented 10 API endpoints before they hit production, what all scenarios it is tested for, whether they are secure or not, and you know, you, you can peacefully send it to production, basically. With that context, now, one of our champions, they loved the idea, but how do I sell this as a product? So we said, okay, let's just do a small POC with very limited installation. They didn't do a lot of work, but they just did one installation, just Docker Compose up kind of setup. We surfaced 100 API endpoints that they have. And we said, like, let's go through it together. And when we were going through it, like, there were like a lot of aha moments. Initially, we asked, like, okay, how many API endpoints you might have? Like, and it's like maybe one or 200. Just one surface, we surfaced 100 endpoints. He was blown away. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't even know there were these many endpoints. Okay, take this. This is a big data point for you to actually, you know, make a case for it. Hey, guys. We didn't even know how many API endpoints we have. We need a product to really help us tell that, give visibility. There was a lot of sensitive data that was actually going through those APIs. That was another aha moment for the champion. And it's like, okay, take this data point. Now we got to have a very clear understanding of how we as a company and product dealing with sensitive data. These are just some examples. 
often times the results could be coming from the actual product itself but sometimes they come from like just narratives like for example whatever we have done here next time to the champion i can just give the ideas like in one in one case we actually tested one customer's apis and we found that the apis authentication is broken is like okay that was like a big shock for them like okay i thought this api was authenticated but it was a big surprise to know that anybody could just call this without authentication so all those points you have to use we are also we, we have few champions uh, i mean i would say evangelist slash forward thinkers i i maintain relationship with them always even if they are buying my product or not i keep thinking them because these are almost like people like me frankly they are always thinking about like some new idea some of them they may or may not implement but they would be bouncing off the ideas and i learn a lot from them and i actually use that to craft stories and share with these champions a lot of great insights there uh, when i think about nurturing it's about the stories and sharing the the data points and I, I really like the idea of delivering results as data points and creating those aha moments where people can viscerally feel the problem but also viscerally feel the solution and the the impact of the product that they're advocating for the follow up question to that was you know, when you talk about delivering results for people, so it makes me curious to want to deconstruct a little bit more about your thought process around pricing in, in the business model. So I, I saw within like within Levo's pricing, it's like a freemium and then custom enterprise. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how and why you, you thought about pricing in the, the freemium versus enterprise pricing. Pricing is one area where I think there is a lot to learn for me. I'm still like, I don't, I'm not an expert and I am looking forward to learn and change as we go. But there are some learnings from my past, like Abdan makes, for example. There is some that I get by talking to fellow founders or some, you know, serial entrepreneurs and things like that. But honestly, I'm not like an expert in that area. But the reasoning between Levo's pricing, like the freemium, basically, we just wanted to give the product for free for people like less than 50 endpoints. We didn't want to charge them. They can use it for free they can get the value like i mean i think it's a win-win because we will also be from the adoption hopefully we will also be learning something through getting feedback on the product from these people we didn't get as many signups or like as much usage on the freemium as much as i wanted and that is something that i'm still like talking to some customers and trying to uh, deconstruct and understand why i have some theories on why that could be we also evaluated open source versus freemium when we were doing that and we are actually thinking of like open sourcing some components and this is a huge topic in its own because like there are pros and cons to either of those you know you don't want to put your core ip out there uh otherwise like you would uh, sometimes you might be in trouble on the other hand like the huge advantages that you get with either freemiums or uh, open source again if, if there is engagement the advantage is pretty huge like exponential returns because you get active usage of the product and feedback but in our case that was the rationale rationale was okay give it for free get some usage so that you can go to them and learn and all this. And if they grow, you grow with them. Otherwise, they might they can use it for free and you get feedback in return. We are very early. Like I said, it's not even two years since we started. And for an enterprise product and enterprise company, it's not like too long of a journey. And until you cross 20, 30 customers, in my opinion, it is very hard to figure out exact pricing model, what works and all these things. Because the initial customers, sometimes some of these will be bespoke use cases as bespoke cases. As they call it as product market fit, right? Before you get product market fit, before you hit 25 plus customers, it is very hard to do the pricing. And that's why what we did is we make it easy for customers, actually. We keep very simple, flat pricing. In some cases, we even give discount, like full transparency. The whole idea is like, let's solve their problem first, make them successful. Are there questions that have been helpful for the co-founding team to think through as you've been going through all this? Like, Are there certain questions that have helped sort of organize your thinking and approach around all of this? 
Yeah, definitely. I think uh, open source products, in my opinion, open source projects, it's best they happen organically. But there are certain companies who, when they were starting, they decided to actually start open source or like, or you can call it as building in public. The criteria that goes into mind when you are evaluating that is like one, how much time you want to have. Generally, open source and getting that adoption and all of that takes time. And other reason why that is an important decision is when you make it open source, you have to invest pretty decently in building a community around it supporting the people who are actually downloading it and using it and all that and a lot of the roadmap all of that is influenced by the open source project or the people who are using the product rather than you as a company so it's a complete different ball game like you know you have to give the control uh, but what you get is if you really do a good job and if that is really solving some important problem and if it is getting adoption you get this bottoms up uh, bottoms up motion and like you know instead of you finding customers users are coming to you and things like that there is a lot of nice things that happen but they all come after like a lot of investment so in general time is one major criteria but also where you want to invest you have to invest in a community building helping other people succeed and all of this without you deciding the roadmap and all that the closed source like you know you can decide what you want to build which feature to prioritize because you know it's a proprietary entity and you get to choose what you want to do those were the criteria even for us we went through the decision making and we took decision and sometimes it may or may not be the best but i personally believe that open source project they have to solve some very niche problem and they have to have that core audience and second thing is i don't believe in like half hearted open sourcing if you do it put it out with full uh, open license let people use it the way they want and all that and you have to be there to help and nurture the community otherwise it won't work out what about pricing that have the free version available it's very typical but they're also enterprise product they don't have a free option based on your experience what's the typical use case that can be suited for the other side like no free version of the software if i'm wearing the prop of ceo hat and the gtm leader hat it all comes down to the problem persona and how big of a need it is it's not based on the technology or anything in my opinion the strategy of the company overall like what is your gtm strategy in general um, you are building for short term versus long term you think differently you focused on getting more revenue or more option or more downloads in my opinion it's a generic question you have to see through the lens of your product your core audience and the company's strategy to decide what is better or what is not better i don't think they, every approach has its own pros and cons but i can say like i'm a huge fan of datadog actually the way they have built and everything and they had freemium but they didn't have any open source or anything the way they were initially giving freemium and they're slowly increasing the audience and all that thanks to usage based pricing i think these days that also kind of made it a bit more easy but you have to always see through the lens of your company product strategy a lot of these things it can be really easy to fall into the jargon of the deeply technical work that we do sometimes. And I think what I've appreciated is that you focus a lot on how can you kind of remove that and focus on the impact and using some of that language. And so I think for a lot of folks in our community, more likely than not, like a lot of folks are probably building more of a, a technical product and we'll have to communicate that to people in a way that removes buzzwords or jargon. Could you share any thoughts about how to talk about some of these things without buzzwords and, and have what you had to do as a founder to, I guess, overcome maybe the deeply technical language of your engineering leadership background to build this skill set? First of all, thanks for your kind words. And I still think there is a lot more that I need to do with respect to articulation and also putting it in the best possible way for the audience. Two people, obviously, I'm not going to name them, but they were kind enough to give 
very honest and harsh feedback like dude like you are just talking all technology crap like who is going to care about this just dumb it down i got that feedback from couple of people very early on on the face and i really really appreciate them like those couple of instances themselves changed me a lot and i was fortunate to get that but i think this is a good observation whether i was doing it or not i would actually say every engineering based or engineering uh, background people that is one of the common things to happen not just the talk or pitch in fact we are problem solvers by definition that's why you become an engineer you excel as an engineer and you start to see everything as a problem and also start to jump when solving that problem yeah, i might have had my own fair share of mistakes in in my journey but that's something very very important to be conscious about the one thing that i tell my employees especially engineers they get excited about building some cool ideas cool features cool products i tell them like guys we are here to build a company uh, we are here to build a business building the cool feature or any technical feature should be a means of building that business there is a huge difference between building technology or building feature versus building a business if you keep that in your mind all of these things will fall automatically to build a business you have to talk the customer language you have to put it in a way that resonates with them and they understand if it is in technical jargon by all means do it but don't just get your past habits and your background creep into the storytelling find feedback in the early days to help with the the learning curve there that's great insight uh, i can imagine it can be really challenging to hear that sometimes but it totally changes the course of being able to communicate the company and the problem to other people buchi we've got some rapid fire questions if you're ready to dive into those yeah let's do it Awesome. What are you reading or listening to right now? I listen to podcasts. There is one fun one, Snacks Daily. I don't know if you listen. I refresh while listening that. Like just I get uh, quick bites of market snacks. And I also started listening this all in podcast. I'm a big time listener of Tim Ferriss podcast. So I'm big time into podcasts like while driving or while going on a walk. I don't read very long books. I read excerpts. I read blog posts that are exceptional and that I decide based on reading first two paragraphs. and a lot of my reading is still like very relevant to my company and some personally generally productivity some philosophy and a little bit on the you know history side i appreciate the balance there what founder resources have been most helpful thanks to my investor foundation capital they have their own uh, internal network and all these i tap into that and thanks to my fellow founder i was fortunate like bunch of people from abdynamics or some of my other friends they started companies around the time frame or few years ahead of me i used them as brainstorm buddies and we share all the learnings among us and all that i mean we didn't go through yc so we don't have anything like a yc alum forum or things like that and those two in addition to that i don't shy away from actually reaching out to anybody who i think could be helping me like it need not be even founder sometimes but i don't shy away from asking from help basically you would be surprised actually if you reach out and ask most of the times you actually get the help so that's another source where i solve the problems there's been some great insights just around the commitment and the persistence and to be comfortable with with reaching out and ask for help also kind of goes into like being comfortable with hearing no but being surprised that more often than not people say yes so i think there's some really interesting patterns there buti that's awesome How do you diffuse stress? Well, thanks to my son, <laughs> he helps me. And so basically, he's he's always ready. He's waiting for me to jump off. Even even this call, as we speak, he's probably waiting downstairs on when daddy is going to be off the call and he can play. So that has been a big uh, stress relief. Otherwise, I'll catch up with friends regularly and watch some movies. And I used to go on hiking, not uh, not in the last few months, but usually hiking also is one another uh, very common stress buster for me. 
you're kind of in the area where Mount Diablo is. That's one of my favorite places in the in the Bay Area. Highly recommend the Wind Caves. I don't know if you've been over to that part yet or Castle Rock or anything. Definitely some of my favorite places to check out. Last question, Bucci. Is there a quote or mantra that you live by or a quote that's been resonating with you right now? Two basic things that usually come to top of my mind. First one is like, I think it's Bezos who said this, regret minimization. If I'm not wrong, it's Bezos, but I don't exactly remember who that is. But I love the quote irrespective of who said it. Part of the answer to Jerry's earlier question and like, you know, this commitment and this is how did you even decide to do it? Part of that decision making criteria was actually the regret minimization. You know, when I grow older or five years from now, 10 years from now, what would I regret? Uh, I think it's a common thing, right? Everybody knows it. So regret minimization definitely resonates a lot with me. And I take my decisions, including Levo's decision or any other decisions on daily basis, like even a car purchase, like recently I was buying a car, like, okay, you know, which one I would regret the most? And then uh, I I pass it through that. Second one is basically have fun, enjoy what you're doing. Every day when I wake up, first of all, am I pushing myself out of the bed or am I just, you know, excited to jump out of the bed and work on it? That is one huge scale for me. Like it rarely happens because I always chose to do, even if it is a tough thing, I chose to do what what I was loving. Last 10 years, I don't think there were many days where I was actually pushing myself hard out of bed. If I, if at all that has starts happening, I notice immediately and then I start thinking, okay, what should I change? What is it? Is it my job or is it some project or is is it a relationship? What is it that's causing this? And try to address it. So those are two main things. Great insights, Bucci. Thank you for sharing your founder journey and the story behind Levo. It's been a ton of fun. Um, we've really enjoyed having you on. Thanks so much. Thank you. I mean, it was actually really, really good conversation and great questions. I really enjoyed uh, answering these questions. You know, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn, anybody on any of these topics, especially the H1B or anybody having ideas how to pitch or all those things. People can always reach out to me. I'm happy to pay back. Many people helped me. <laughs>